Hello and welcome to this new episode of Folklore, Food and Fairy Tales. It's wonderful to have you here. If this is your first visit, you're very welcome. And if you've come back, it's so lovely to hear from you again. As usual, what we'll do is first we'll have the story, then we'll have a chat about the story, the folklore, the history and the food from the story. And then there'll be the recipe. Our story this week is The Beautiful Inner Centre from The Robber with a Witch's Head. More stories from the great treasury of Sicilian folk and fairy tales, collected by Laura Gonzenbach. So, are you listening comfortably? Then I'll begin. Once upon a time, there was a king and a queen who did not have a child, and they would very much like to have one. So, the king made a promise that if he were blessed with a son, he would have a fountain built when the boy turned twelve. And he would let the fountain flow with oil for twelve hours, so that anyone who needed oil could come and fetch some. Shortly thereafter, the queen became pregnant, and when her hour came, she gave birth to the most beautiful, handsome boy. Just think how joyful his parents were. The child grew and became handsomer with every day that passed. When he turned twelve, the king remembered his promise, and he had a beautiful fountain built in the castle courtyard, and announced throughout his realm the oil would flow for twenty-four hours. People could come and fetch as much oil as they wanted for nothing. That wasn't a small thing. The prince stood on the balcony and took pleasure watching the spectacle. Finally, however, when the oil had already stopped flowing, an old lady appeared with a tiny jug. When she saw that she wouldn't be able to fill the little jug, she took a sponge and soaked up all the oil that was left in the cracks. The prince despised this. He stood at his window and he watched, and when the little jug was finally full, he took a stone and, just like that, spitefully, threw it at the small jug until it broke and the oil spilled out. The old woman called out in anger, May you never marry until you found the beautiful innocenter. From that day on, the prince thought of no one but the beautiful innocenter, and never enjoyed another peaceful day. When he became somewhat older, he went to his father and he said, Dear father, please let me have a horse. Let me go out and look for the beautiful innocenter. I won't have another day peace until I've met her. Oh, my son, the father cried in horror. Are you crazy? Do you know how difficult it is to find the beautiful innocenter? Do you know that her parents, well, one of her parents is an ogre and the other is a witch? D- don't think about it any more, my son. Just stay here. You've got everything you want. Oh. You are our only son. Where would you want to leave? But the prince couldn't stop making his request. He could never get any peace. He kept asking the king to let him go until his father finally gave him a horse, blessed him and let him go. The prince rode straight on for a long time, through forests, through valleys, through small towns, until he eventually came to a wild region where there were no houses to be seen. In the distance he saw a light and went straight towards it. Soon he arrived at a cottage inhabited by a hermit who was the first guardian of the beautiful innocenter. Who's outside? he asked. I'm, I'm, I'm just a poor young man, said the prince. Please let me spend the night here. Tomorrow I'll continue on my way. What? Do you intend to kidnap the beautiful innocenter? I'm going to eat you here and now. Don't eat me, the prince responded. I've got no idea who the beautiful innocenter is. I just, I just want to uh, go hunting for my own pleasure. So the hermit opened the door, gave him something to eat, and showed him to a bird. 
The next morning, when the prince was about to say farewell, the hermit gave him a staff made of velvet and gold. And he had his suspicions about the beautiful innocenta, no matter what the prince had denied. Listen to my advice, he said. Take this staff, it'll be of use to you. My older brother lives a day's journey from here. You should spend the next night with him, and then when you take leave of him, let him give you two loaves of bread. They'll be useful for you. The day after, then, you'll travel on to my eldest brother, who will also give you shelter. When you're sitting at the table with him, just snatch three hairs from his beard and keep them in a very safe place. They too will be of use to you. The young man thanked the hermit and rode the entire day until he came to the second hermit in the evening, as he'd been promised. The prince knocked at the door and the hermit said, Who's there? Um, just a poor young man. Please let me rest here tonight and tomorrow I'll continue on my way. What? Do you intend to kidnap the beautiful innocenter? The hermit growled. I'm going to eat you here and now. Don't, don't, don't eat me, the prince responded. I've got no idea who the beautiful innocenter is. I just want to uh, go hunting for pleasure. Then the hermit answered the door, gave him something to eat and a bed for the night. When the prince was about to take his leave the next morning, he asked the hermit, Please give me two loaves of bread so I don't die of hunger in this desolate spot. So the hermit gave him two loaves and shouted, don't get any ideas, no ideas, mind you, about kidnapping the beautiful in the centre, or you'll be in for a lot of trouble. What concern is it of yours what happens to the beautiful in the centre, the prince said, and rode off, quite sharpish. Towards the evening he came to the third hermit, who was ancient and had a long white beard. Who's outside? he growled with a deep voice. The prince asked him for shelter for the night, but the hermit said, Do you intend to kidnap the beautiful in the centre? I'm going to eat you here and now if you so. The prince thought he had no idea who the beautiful innocenter was, and the hermit eventually get him enter. When they sat down to eat, the prince suddenly grabbed the hermit's beard and tore out three hairs. What do you think you're doing? screamed the hermit, now I'm going to eat you. What do you want to eat me? The prince asked. A fly was caught in your beard and I just tried to get the fly, and these three hairs got caught in my fingers. Hmm, said the old man. He settled down there and showed the prince to his bed. The next morning... The young man mounted his horse and continued his journey. After he'd been riding for some time, he came to some plains and saw the most magnificent castle ahead of him. The door stood open, but some gigantic scissors stood in front and moved back and forth, opening their blades up and down so no one could get through. Prince had a look, dismounted, had a look again, and then thought to himself. Then he took the staff made of velvet and gold and stuck it between the scissors. While the scissors cut the staff in two, the prince slipped through the entrance. No sooner had he made his way into the castle than two roaring lions attacked him and wanted to eat him. But it turns out they preferred bread, so he threw the bread at them, and while they turned out their attention, he raced up the stairs. In the antechamber there was a huge fly who began to buzz loudly as soon as anyone broke into the castle so that the witch would hear and rush to the entrance. But the prince threw the three hairs from the hermit's beard so that the fly became wrapped up in them. No longer thought about buzzing, as much as you concerned about getting away from the hairs. Finally, the prince entered a large hall in which he found the beautiful innocenter sitting on a throne, and she was more beautiful than the sun. Oh, beautiful innocenter, he said, just look at how hard I've worked and how much I've suffered, all because of you. Now you must follow me and become my wife. How is that possible, she said. My parents have left the castle, but they will return very soon. When they find you here, they will eat you. 
You can take care of that, the prince said. I've done so much for you. Now you must think of a way to flee this place. Okay, so the beautiful Lysanta, I'll hide you in my room for now, and tonight we will flee here. So she hid the prince in her room, and soon the ogre and his wife came and bellowed. They didn't really have a volume control. We smell human flesh! We smell human flesh! Oh, stop it! cried their daughter. How is it possible for a human to get here? Am I completely safe with the buzzing fly, the two lions, and the scissors that watch over me? Soon after, when the ogre and his wife went to bed, the beautiful Innocenta called the prince, spit on the floor one time, and fled with the young man. After a while, the old witch woke up, and since her daughter wasn't to be seen, cried out, Beautiful Innocenta, come and lay down to sleep. Yep, yeah, just soon, as soon as I finish sewing this, this, this stocking, said the saliva. How far are you? I've sewn half a leg. After an hour, the witch called out again, Beautiful Innocenta, come and lay down to sleep. Soon? I just have to finish sewing the stocking. How far are you? I'm almost done. Once again, another hour passed, and the witch called out, Beautiful Innocenta, come and lay down to sleep. Soon I must finish sewing the stocking. How far are you down? I'm just sewing the heels. In the meantime, it was nearly day, and the witch cried out one more time, Beautiful Innocenta, come and lay down to sleep. Her saliva, however, was already dry, and she no longer answered. Beautiful Innocenta, beautiful Innocenta, the witch cried out. But beautiful Innocenta had long since gone over the mountains. The witch woke the ogre and cried out, Our daughter has run away. She's run away. Come on, we've got to follow her. In order to catch up with the beautiful Innocenta, the ogre and his wife changed themselves into red and white clouds and soon had overtaken the two runaways. Look behind you and tell me what you see, the beautiful Innocenta said to the prince. I see a red and white cloud, the prince answered. Well, I'll become a church and you become the sexton to the beautiful Innocenta, and she was immediately turned into a church and the prince into a priest. Meanwhile, the ogre and his wife reassumed their natural form, approached the priest and asked him, Have a man and woman come riding by here? It's not time yet for mass, he said. The presento didn't understand them. Have a man and woman come by here? The priest hasn't arrived yet. You're the priest, pretended to him. Have a man and a woman come riding by here? The goblet hasn't been brought yet. That wasn't my question. Have a man and woman come by here? The host has been forgotten. Have a man and woman come by here. The book for the mass can't be found. <sighs> the ogre and the witch finally lost patience and returned home, grumbling all the way. However, the witch couldn't settle down and said, I've got to catch up with them, and if you refuse to come with me, I'm going on my own. The ogre did refuse. He was bored by now. He didn't really care. So she transformed herself into a white cloud and flew after them. Look behind me and tell me what you see, said beautiful Incenter. I see a white cloud. Then I'll become a garden, and you the gardener. So she became a garden, and the prince, a gardener. Well, he was dressed like a gardener. He really knew much about gardening. When the witch came, she asked him, Have a man and woman come by here. The fennel, the fennel isn't ripe yet. Yeah, that isn't what I asked. Have a man and woman come by here. I definitely can't give you any lettuce yet. I didn't ask for lettuce. Have a man and woman come by here. Why are you looking for lettuce at this time of year? Are you mocking me? The witch yelled at the gardener and wanted to attack him. But just then the beautiful Innocenta cried out, You become a rosebush and I'll become a rose. Suddenly the prince became a rosebush with a wonderfully beautiful rose budding on it. The witch knew for sure the rose was her daughter and wanted to pick it, but the rosebush stuck her with its thorns so she became scratched all over. Still, she kept trying to pick the rose and stuck out her hand, so the beautiful Innocenta cried out again, You become a fountain, I'll be an eel. All of a sudden, the bush just went, and instead there was a fountain standing there, filled with clear water, and an eel was playing in it. 
The witch tried to catch the eel. As soon as she thought she'd got the eel, it would slip through her fingers. Beautiful inner centre, beautiful inner centre, she said. Come with me or you'll regret everything. However, no matter how often she cried out to her daughter, the beautiful inner centre would not listen to her and remained as an eel and remained escaping from her fingers. Finally, the witch yelled, May the prince forget you with the first kiss his mother gives him. And then she returned to her castle. In the meantime, the beautiful inner centre and the prince continued on their way. When they approached the city where his parents were living, he said to her beautiful inner centre, It's not proper at this time to enter my first castle like this. Stay here until I go and announce your arrival. Tomorrow I'll return with a splendid coach, a large entourage, some new clothes for you, and I'll lead you in triumph to the castle. Oh no, she said, don't leave me here. When your mother kisses you, you will forget me. Don't worry, he answered. I, I, won't, I won't kiss my mother. I'll return tomorrow. Full of confidence. Misguided, as it turns out. So he led her to one of his father's peasants and left her in a farmhouse. When he arrived at the castle, his parents were so full of joy to see their son again. However, he said to his mother, Dear mother, I'm afraid you can't kiss me. Otherwise, I'll forget my dear bride. You see, I've found the beautiful in the centre. Tomorrow, I want to drive out with a large entourage and bring her here. In the evening, however, after he had laid down to sleep, the queen could not resist her desire to kiss her son and thought, I'll be able to remind you about the beautiful inner centre tomorrow. So she went into his room and kissed his forehead. And right away, he forgot the beautiful inner centre. When he awoke, he had no idea who inner centre was. My dear son, his mother said, don't, don't you want to send out and fetch the beautiful inner centre? Who is the beautiful inner centre? said the prince. I don't have any idea who she is and I don't want to know. So he stayed with his parents and he returned to his splendid life. Fully at peace now, he didn't know he needed to find the beautiful in the centre. After some time had passed, he thought, well, you know, he was a prince and princes should marry. So he would choose another beautiful wife and their wedding would be celebrated soon. The farm with him and the beautiful in the centre remained. He used to go to the city every now and then. When he came home one day, in the centre asked him what news was in the city, the prince has chosen a bride for himself and the wedding to be celebrated soon. Do me a favour, the beautiful innocent said. Buy me seven rolls of sugar and honey and seven rolls of almond dough. After the farmer bought her the sugar, the honey and the dough, she formed two beautiful doves out of these things and cast a magic spell. And she gave the doves to the farmer and said, take these to the royal castle and have them placed secretly in the prince's room. The farmer did exactly as she wished. And when the prince went into his room, the doves were sitting there. Oh, how pretty these doves are, he said. And he approached one of them. One of the doves began to sing. Do you remember how I fled with you in the night and spit on the floor so my saliva would answer for me instead of myself? Yes. Do you remember how my parents followed us? I changed myself into a church and you into a priest. Do you remember how they asked whether a man and woman came by and you answered that the priest hadn't come? even though you were the priest, and that the goblet and the host had not arrived yet, and the book for mass could not be found? Yes. <laughs> Do you remember how my own mother overtook us, and I changed myself into a garden, and you into a gardener? Do you remember how you asked whether you were a man and a woman had come by, and you spoke instead of fennel and lettuce? Yes. <laughs> Do you remember how you became a rose bush and I a rose, and how my mother wanted to pick me, and how you scratched her with your thorns? Yes. <laughs> Do you remember how you became a fountain, and I became an eelnit, and how I slipped through my mother's fingers? Do you remember how my mother cried out to me, beautiful in the centre, come with me or you'll regret everything? And I didn't listen to her, and so I left my mother and father to follow you. Do you remember how my mother cursed me, saying that the prince will forget me with the first kiss his mother gave him? Yes. 
<laughs> Do you remember how you left me at the farmhouse and promised to come back to me? When she spoke about the farmhouse, the prince remembered everything that happened and rushed to the king and said, Dear father, send my bride back to her home. I've already got a bride, my beautiful inner centre, the one for whom I have suffered a great deal. Then he got into a magnificent coach, took splendid clothes with him, as well as a large entourage, and drove to the farmhouse to fetch the beautiful inner centre. Didn't I tell you you shouldn't leave me here, she said. My mother kissed me while I was sleeping, he answered. That's what I forgot you, sorry. But now all our suffering has come to an end. I've come to take you to my castle. So, she didn't really have any other options. She put on the beautiful clothes, sat down next to him in the magnificent coach and rode to the royal castle in honour. The king and queen were very happy about their son's beautiful bride and arranged a wonderful wedding. So, they finally became man and wife. And now, this tale is done. And that is the end of my tale. And I hope it pleased you, for it had no other purpose. So, what did you think of the story? Have you got the feeling that you've heard it a few times before, but it's not quite the same? That's not surprising, really, because there's so many variants of this tale in at least 20 different countries across the globe. And some countries even have different versions of the same variant. England's one of them. Italy's another. But I suspect the one you know, which is certainly the most famous, is The Mastermaid from Norway. The version we're looking at today is Sicilian as I mentioned, and is collected by Laura Gonsenbach that we discussed at length in the last episode. Its tale type is ATU-313, The Magic Flight, and nearly all the variants have a heroine who assists the hero to escape from a villain by turning into various combinations of things as they get further and further away. Sometimes they help the hero complete seemingly easy but actually impossible tasks before they escape. The villain is often an ogre, but sometimes a witch, and sometimes both, as in our tale. Uh, our tale has these elements, but also a beginning of the tale that comes straight out of the first recorded literary version. Can you guess where this might be from? Yeah, it's The Tale of Tales by Gian Battista Basile. I do read some other collections of tales, I promise, but this is a common tale type in Italy. I don't know whether the commonality of the oral version of the tale or the Basile version came first. The Basile tale is The Three Citrons. Should you wish to investigate further, it has an interesting ricotta element, which I might follow up myself at a later date. I do really like ricotta. My concern is that it has very little folkloric significance. Anyway, back to our current tale. This is one of those tales which I nearly didn't look at, as I get very cross with the hero. His thoughtless actions to a vulnerable member of society are what causes all of his future problems. He's rescued from these by a clever and talented woman, and he doesn't follow her advice, because he's concerned that by arriving late, that she won't carry enough status. This results in him nearly forgetting her and marrying another. In the centre would be the only one of the two to suffer again here, as he would be happy enough with his alternative bride, but she hasn't had her memory wiped, so she would remain in the centre would remain distressed and miserable. He also insists she must marry him, as he's gone to so much trouble to win her. She at no point has ever asked him to rescue her from her own parents. Well, you might be wondering why I ever set out to tell the tale when I hold the hero in such disdain. I think it's because the part of the tale I do love is in the centre's cleverness and ingenuity, which wouldn't have been demonstrated with our hero's idiocy. I might personally think she'd be better off leaving him to his new wife and going off and finding a better man, but she clearly wanted him, so used all her cunning and knowledge to win the day. I also like some of the weird, sort of surreal aspects as well. Those scissors, for example. I also think it's easier in our time to forget that the idea of female independence is a very modern one. It's only been the last 50 years that women had a legal right to their own bank account without it being countersigned by a responsible male relative in this country. 
even with all innocenter skills, she really did need a man if she wanted her own home and a family. So maybe it was a question of better the devil, you know? He was supposed to be handsome. I do think it's telling, though. The prince in this tale is never given a name. It's all about the beautiful in the centre. I think we'll leave our tale there with a taste of honey in our mouths, not bitterness. Do you like what I did there? I'm fairly proud of it. As you may have guessed, we're going to look at honey as our food of choice in this episode. I wasn't in the mood to research olive oil or almonds, but I thought honey might be soothing at this time of horrid time of year, while we're waiting for spring to peep through the murky greyness of, well, in my case, British winter. I also had the last scrapings of the jar of one of my favourite honeys on toast with that lovely butter, you know, with the lemon salt crystals in, on the day I read this. So it seemed like serendipity. Honey is important from a historic, culinary and folkloric perspective, so it seemed a perfect ingredient to research. I've ended up eating far more honey than I usually do as a result, and I've been trying to taste all of my favourites. They're not all good on toast. Greek pine honey is perfect over rich, thick yoghurt instead. Shropshire wildflower honey and Scottish heather honey, however, are just perfect on toast with butter. The toast needs to be the sort where you crunch through a lovely, soft middle of the slice, and I prefer a whole grain for this. Sourdough also works, but it isn't necessary. It doesn't always have the lovely, pillowy softness under the crunch that other bread does. But the sourness of the bread enhances the flavours of the honey, so there's that. Anyway, I got distracted. We'll get back to the kind of uses for honey later, but first we need to look at the folklore. Did you know that the Druids called Britain Honey Isle due to the prevalence of honey and bees there? Me either. Honey was thought to be a divine substance, a gift from the gods. The Egyptians thought that bees collected the honey that had been left by the gods and so they were considered sacred manifestations of the gods. Other civilizations considered honey to be the gift of the earth mother Ashtate, a goddess of fertility, maternity and love. Also battle. The ancient Greeks also considered the food of the gods, consumed in ambrosia. It appears as a divine foodstuff in Homer's Odyssey as well. Even Virgil believed it was heaven-born. The Romans offered it as a sacrifice to Proserpina, known by the Greeks as Persephone, the goddess of both the underworld and the spring. They thought it was enough to tempt her from the underworld and bring it on, the spring. Honey has been a mystical substance through history because it was made through such a mysterious process. It's been used for many purposes, as medicine, preservative, as an offering to the dead, as well as for love charms. Honey was an offering to gods, sometimes in the form of mead, and in rituals due to its purity. It has also been used in dishes at weddings to ensure the sweetness of the relationship and increase fertility of the union. There is sadly little evidence to suggest the truth of the rumour that the honeymoon at the start of marriage stems from ancient peoples being sent outside their societies for the first moon or month of their marriage, provided with honey and mead to increase the joy of their married lives together. It's a lovely romantic tale though, and believing it hurts no one. I've tried here to keep the folklore strictly to honey and away from bees, which have even more wonderful folklore. It's a shame really, as it would have been a lovely time to talk about why St Valentine, who was the patron saint of beekeepers as well as romantic love. However, I just have to save it for next Valentine's Day. We'll move on to how they have some honey history instead. Honey is up there with our big historic food item. Evidence for its use has been found in Egypt, in 5000 BCE, only 2000 years after wine and beer, 7000 BCE, and 5000 years after flour, bread and soup, 10,000 BCE. 
There was even a Neolithic rock painting in the Arana cave near Valencia in Spain, which shows a man collecting wild honey. Archaeologists have even discovered evidence of a 2,700-year-old caramelised honey and fennel tart alongside mead buried with King Midas in western Turkey. Honey has even been used in warfare. Bees harvested the flowers of toxic, well, to humans, plants, and made honey, and this honey was given to enemy soldiers to weaken them so they could easily be killed if they hadn't already died of toxic honey. There's evidence of this happening to Greek soldiers in Turkey in 401 BCE and to Roman soldiers in 67 BCE. Honey was also a vital trade item, traded throughout the world by various trading empires, including the Greeks, Assyrians, Phoenicians, Romans, Arabs, Chinese, and the Mayans. Honey was a wonder product throughout the Middle Ages in Europe. It was used as a sweetener, a medicine, a preservative, a food, and the basis for mead. Beekeeping was considered an essential skill. As honey was sometimes used instead of currency, some German peasants in the 10th, sorry, 11th century paid their feudal lords in honey and beeswax. Beeswax was another reason that honey was all the rage in the Middle Ages, as monasteries often had many hives in order to make, have wax to make candles for services. Honey was almost a byproduct and was used also in mead. It's another reason that the British Isles lost its taste for honey earlier than the rest of Europe. The monasteries were the biggest purveyors of honey, and when these were dissolved under Henry VIII, a lot of beekeeping knowledge was lost, along with brewing knowledge, both beer and mead, and cheese knowledge. Obviously, all of this continued, but on a smaller scale. The arrival of sugarcane and later sugar beet as a cheap replacement sweetener meant that by the 1800s honey was slowly becoming a luxury and not an essential. It was also being replaced as a preservative with other methods such as canning and then freezing being more convenient and cheaper. As medical knowledge increased and better treatments became available in Europe it was also in decline as a medicine. Research is being done now however into the value of honey as a wound treatment. Honey is antibacterial and hydroscopic meaning it pulls water from its surroundings, including wounds. It's also sticky, so bandages can be attached to the honey rather than pulling at the healing wound when dressings are changed. It also remains a folk remedy for coughs and sore throats. I know that hot lemon and honey drink was the first remedy I was given a child at the sign of a cough or sore throat, and I still make it now as an adult. I don't know whether it has any medicinal value, but it certainly seems to soothe my throat and it always makes me feel better. So... We've covered honey in folklore um, and in history, if only briefly. It's such a huge topic, I don't think we could manage it all. I think you could write a book, but several people already have, so there's clearly lots to be written about honey. We're now going to take a peep at honey as a culinary ingredient. Honey is one of the few ingredients that can be used in its raw state. Just get it out of the hive while kept and indulge. Take care, however, if it's wild, unless you know what flowers the bees have been feasting on. Remember, all those poison soldiers. It can also be used in recipes or to enhance the sweetness of a dish. You can use it to preserve foods such as fruit and has in the past been used to preserve meat. If you want to try some medieval recipes, there are lots available. It's also used in gingerbread and German biscuits like Lebkuchen. If you're using it, however, remember it darkens more quickly than things sweetened by sugar. So use other clues when baking rather than colour or you may end up with undercooked biscuits or cakes. No one wants a soft gingerbread man. In countries like Portugal and Spain, where there's less influence of the Protestant Reformation, there are lots more cakes and sweets based on honey. Honey can also be used as combined with vinegar to create sweet and sour dressing. Chili honey has become very popular recently, which can be drizzled across pretty much anything to add heat with a touch of sweetness and is particularly popular on pizza. 
The combination of citrusy, lemony, slightly salty, fresh coats, cheese and sweet honey is particularly winning. It's also a popular ingredient in Indian and Middle Eastern sweets, such as gulab jamun and baklava, and works beautifully with rose water and orange water. In honour of the honey and almond paste birds that Innocenta created, our recipe for today stems from there. I was brought up on these and some leader-based cakes and much prefer them to traditional English-style sponge cakes with buttercream. I think those can be nice too. But I decided to use one of the traditional Middle Eastern recipes as a recipe for today. This cake is known as basbuza, a semolina cake soaked in syrup. Some sources say the name means little kiss in Arabic and that the cake age originates in Egypt, but others suggest turkey as the origin of this particular cake. The recipe I use is pretty much that of Claudia Rodin. I just use honey instead of sugar in the syrup, as I love the more complex flavours. This recipe is from her wonderful book, A New Book of Middle Eastern Food. If you don't have it, you should put it at the top of your list. The stories and histories around the food take you to the most wonderful places without leaving your home. It's also beautifully researched, and Claudia writes wonderfully. The recipe for Buzzboozer will obviously be linked to from the show notes, um, as well as some further reading and other knowledge of other books and things I've talked about during this section. I hope the story, or if not the story, then the talk of honey and the things that can be useful have brought a little bit of a glow to your life on this yeah, well, murky, wintry day. If you listen to this at the height of summer, then hopefully it has made it even more glorious. And with that, I think it's come to the end of this week's episode of Folklore, Food and Fairy Tales. <laughs>